Welcome to Connected Revelation. I am your host, Annie Booker. And I'm Joyce Hope. There she is. Okay. We're hoping we have no technical difficulties this time. I can hear you, Joyce. (laughs) Absolutely. Oh, good. I'm glad, Annie. I'm so glad to be heard this week. Yeah. I know I have a little bit of a cold, so I feel kind of hoarse and throaty. But, you know, it's fine. I have some tea and my water. And so I can just mute myself and you take over if if all things, you know, just hit the fan here. Right, right. (laughs) (laughs) So last weekend we um, had a chance to kind of interview each other and it was super fun. I hope I didn't listen to our whole show, but I hope people heard um, some of the back and forth. I know I learned a lot more about you and I think I actually think we should do it again. Um, you know, and really be heard, right, both of us, because, uh, yeah, what we find, of course, is that there's so many interesting things that bring us together at a certain point in time, and I just think, I always think that's really cool. Like, I don't think accidents really happen. I think people are put into your life for a purpose, and, you know, at the time you need them, and you sometimes don't understand or don't realize why, and I just think it's really cool to pay attention to those things and be in tune with what happens. Absolutely. So excited to be here on Freedomizer Radio on our show, Connected Revelations. Um, we really have a great show this week. I'm so excited. We were able to interview um, a really great farmer out of Wisconsin. Uh, his name is Mark, and we will get to that in the second half hour of the show. Uh, but I'm so excited about this interview. What did you think, Annie? I was super impressed. I mean, I have never been on a radio show, either as a host or a guest, I don't think. And uh, for sure, I know I haven't been as a host. I'm not sure if I've ever been a guest um, as far as, like, someone answering the phone and then I'm on the radio. And so I was a little bit nervous. Um, wondering how it would go because you never know is someone a good convers because you know people are good conversationalists in person when you're looking at them and looking for reactions but when you're calling someone sometimes it's really hard to read their expression to know is it my turn to say something is it his turn like you know are we going to overlap our questions and so uh, after after we were done interviewing Mark I was like this is it this is the thing we're supposed to do he had so much information and I felt like we could have interviewed him for like I mean at least another two hours if not more oh yeah I mean the knowledge that he shares and the amount of time that he's been working in um, you know as a farmer but working in organic farming and all the different it's just incredible the knowledge that he carries and and you know um, he has a you know, many children, um, but uh, they were saying that his son, is, his son's name is Gideon, and uh, they were saying how he has even more information. So it'd be really interesting to talk to his, his son as well, because it sounds like they are as passionate about uh, natural living as you and I are. <laughs> That's so, so great. That's and it's so Yeah, you think, you think, like for me, I don't think I know everything, but I think I have a pretty good grasp on, okay, this is why I do what I do. And then, you know, you talk to an expert in the field and you realize like, 
I have a tidbit of information, but I don't even know a tenth of what this person knows. And I think, you know, I don't know about for you, but for me, that's one of the things that I really want to highlight on our show upcoming here is that there are so many experts in these fields that have this wealth of information and we need to get to them. We need to get the information out there for things that I feel like are almost lost. Like we're losing them, these, uh, you know, small farmers and soil health and people that run these small businesses and holistic health practitioners that may or may not be training someone in to take their place after they're no longer doing it. And I just, I want to grab onto all these people and grab their knowledge and then shove it up to somebody else so that we never lose, you know, we don't lose these trades, these, this, all this knowledge that, you know, I really hope is being passed on. Oh, absolutely. And I feel, you know, I feel like there's a shift right now that people are moving back into this type of lifestyle because they're, they're, people are getting really sick and, um, you know, they're, they're coming up with, you know, what was working before, what's, what's changed now. And then people are kind of moving back to the basics and, um, it's, it's so important. It's, It's what the world needs right now. Uh, so incredibly much. So I've been watching this documentary. Um, are you familiar with the, the Truth About Cancer series? Yes, I haven't watched. I've watched bits and pieces, but not the whole thing. But yes. So they. So I've 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 actually was introduced to that way back when my my boss had cancer many many years ago. But I've been watching the the Truth About Cancer, the Eastern Medicine. Uh, series, which is okay. where they went to like seven different countries in seven days, basically, and they interviewed different doctors overseas about what they do um, in regards to natural um, support when it comes to cancer, and uh, it, it, it just reaffirms a lot of the things I've I've known for many many years. Um, yeah, but it's been really really quite fascinating, and it's just. Again, I mean, a lot of it always comes back to nutritionally dense food, um, eating locally, all these different things are, are huge. And so um, as they're interviewing these doctors in different countries, they talk about how they um, learn about these different things and then they um, take what's available in their country because a lot of these countries are very poor mm-hmm. and they they mold these therapies to things that are very easily accessible to people within their country, ah. which I found very fascinating. Yeah, it is fascinating. Do you, so it's a, it's a different series than just the truth about cancer, the original series. Right. Yeah. It's an, they keep, I mean, they do different pieces and different. Um, yeah. So this one's just a different series of it. Okay. So this is all their. Uh, it's a newer one of their documentaries. Actually, one of my my clients actually loaned it to me because she was telling me about it, and I was like, I really want to see that, <laughs> you know. And it, it, you know, sometimes they pop them on for free. Yeah. Um, for like seven days in hopes that you'll want to buy it. And right. So I was like, but but you know, those seven days you almost never can see all of the seven episodes <laughs> yeah, right. you want to see. <laughs> you know, there's a reason for this. Um, right. And so she she had bought it, and so she she let me borrow it. So oh neat. I, I've been really just cool. and, and you know, and with it being Mother's Day weekend, <laughs> yeah. Um, I took the opportunity 
to be able to use the television for something I wanted to see. Nice. I like um, it. You know, so, you know, I, I feel like I'm, you know, this year I normally would have gardening planted, but I feel like the weather's just not there yet. It's um, cold. We did, yeah, we did yeah. some planters today, my sister and myself and my two young daughters and my brother and my mom were there and we, we do our planters every year. And um, my sister is really a good gardener and it was her idea. And it's, it's really great because she's great at picking out colors and coordinating. And um, then we go plant. And this year, my daughter, my nine-year-old took over and planted with auntie. But it was cold. I was like thinking, oh, are these, you know, are these flowers going to survive these cooler nights? <laughs> I hope so because I don't want to have to do it over. <laughs> I, I know, right. And um, another thing is this year and, and then last year, because um, Mark is the farmer that I work with. And mm-hmm. so he does a, they do a CSA program. So last year um, I had planted a bunch and then I was a part of the CSA and I... <laughs> had a lot of um, vegetables available to me, more than I could yeah. could handle. So this year I'm planting a little less because I did the CSA again. Uh, okay. And I think just time-wise, time I'm also being very specific. So I'm going to, you know, plant my kale, um, tomatoes, uh, lettuce, and, and certain things. But the rest I'm just going to let it let it ride for the year <laughs> okay and yeah um, and get my stuff to the csa because with uh my you know the health coaching business growing i'm having less time in the yard right so uh, it's so nice to be able to also support you know small farming by doing the csa as well oh absolutely yeah we We've done CSA also through Mississippi Hills, and um, they have the guy who runs it, Adam, he has rents some land, some very fertile land um, over near, um, yeah, I'm not going to remember, Goodhue. And, uh, okay, you know, I've, I've tried to plant. I am not a great gardener. I felt like it's a skill. Like if I needed to survive, I could do it. I've done it before, but it's not something I really enjoy, so I nearly always do a CSA. And if I don't, I regret it because I think, oh, I won't do it this year. I'll do my own. And then I don't. And I'm stuck in the grocery store and looking for stuff that's not from Mexico or California. And then I just get mad about it. So this year I just made sure I'm just, I just signed up. I just did it. (laughs) Yeah. It's it's such a, a, I just think it's so good. Like I, I started doing, I had my, I did my first, no, I, I learned about CSAs again when I worked for my boss that passed away. Um, he would, he did a CSA over the summer, the year that he was diagnosed with cancer. And he would talk about it and he would bring like random vegetables in that mm-hmm. like he had never seen before. I mean, you know, even though he was this, really this, you know, he was a homeopath and he was a dentist and he was like, all these great things. There were certainly things that he still was learning, just like, you know, I am every day and you are every day. And right. uh, So that was, so at that point, it took me to be able to afford to actually do a CSA. I think it took me about Mm -hmm. five years from that point of learning about them to finding one that would be in my area. I did one that was 
partially organic um, the year before, so four years ago. And then, then, then I, I met Mark and, and then he's like my one stop shop for almost everything. (laughs) I know. It sounds like it. That's awesome. I love that. Um, So it's, it's pretty cool. So yeah, I'm so excited, excited for the interview to to air because the knowledge that he drops on us about um, just how to the nutritionally dense food is just incredible. It is because we learned, you know, about, I don't know, four years back or something, we had Adam again, who runs the CSA that I signed up with. And he came into our, to a local foodie group that I host and he was doing bricks testing on a vegetable and bricks testing. I'm going to, I know I'm going to botch this, but somehow it measures like the nutritional level of um, foods. And so he had a chart up that gave you, you know, low, middle of the road and high density as far as nutrition. You know, I think it was like one through nine or two through nine is the number. And he brought, gosh, I think he brought a tomato and maybe something else, maybe a pepper. And you would want to test these things at the height of the season, of of their season. So if it's a tomato, (laughs) depending on our season, you know. It shouldn't be September, but sometimes it's September or August when they're really red and ripe and ready to be picked. And um, he was comparing. Oh, I think he did lettuce because someone went to the grocery store and tested lettuce with this little bricks meter. And um, the lettuce from the grocery store rated a zero. It had zero nutrition. Um, and Ooh, Adam, Did they say what type of lettuce that was? I think they did. Well, I mean, it was not iceberg. It was like, you know, a greener lettuce. And okay. they, they had measured a lettuce, uh, things that you would assume have nutrition. So it was like a lettuce, a tomato, and a cucumber, something like that. Some things that are easy to access for everybody. Most people eat them, you know, nothing kind of like weird. And they measured mm-hmm. the stuff from the grocery store. And I want to say nothing went above like a two, which was like in the, mm. uh, not, barely, uh, you know, and then they did Adam's. And I want to say his tomato was like a five or six. So you have these oh, foods wow. and you think, a tomato is a tomato is a tomato and it's not though, you know? And so that's where you get into the, but there, you know, he farms over very fertile land that's been, you know, sustainably managed um, with cows and chickens and other animals. And it makes a huge difference. He knows what he's doing, you know, rotating crops and leaving some land, you know, fallow and things like that. And so it was a really good and a stark example how it's like no a tomato is not a tomato sometimes it's just like this thing and sometimes it's actually adding nutrition to your diet right so my question is this testing that you speak of uh is it something easily other people can do Uh, yeah you can get like a kit yeah i think um you can get a bricks meter for like 90 dollars and then let's see Oh, it's, called, it's also called a refractometer. And so I think you can get a pretty, you know, an, affor- uh, an affordable one or you can get one that's more expensive. Um, but I mean. So I know, think we should link like that the, to our Facebook page. Yeah. I think we should link those to the Facebook page because I think it would be something that our listeners would really be interested in possibly doing um, for their their produce that yeah. they purchased. Um, so here you go. It's fifty nine ninety nine, so fifty bucks. Forty nine and 
you basically get some little pulp, you put it in this little thing, this tube, and it's, yeah, it's pretty cool. I don't know. It looks like they have a digital one, too, but that one's, like, that one's the $320 one. So it would be fun. Yeah. (laughs) I'm all about the digital. I was like, let's make this as easy as possible. (laughs) No, I'm not going to pay $300 for it, though. (laughs) It looks like they have some different kinds, and I honestly don't know enough to be able to, like, recommend one. It would be cool to get someone on here and I have someone in mind who would talk about that kind of testing. Oh, that'd be great because I am absolutely fascinated. I mean, clearly I know that I'm getting good, uh, good produce um, and, and high quality meat, but I think it's really important. um, That would be really fun even to do like a, a, like a lunch and learn or some sort of like, you know, webinar where you can like That'd be cool. show people and like have people bring stuff that they normally eat at home. Yes, you that's know what the I mean? thing. And like get together, absolutely from their fridge. Yeah, because I mean so the thing know. is, because... we know we know like you can go almost anywhere now and get organic food with the organic label on it, and that's that's like step one. I get it. I was there for a long time. But when you're paying that higher price tag, in my opinion, I want something more out of it. I don't only want it to be pure food, which the organic label doesn't. I mean, we can, that's a whole other show, but whatever. Um, yeah, yeah. That's, 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 <laughs> that's a different show. That's going to take us forever. <laughs> but, you know, beyond that, I want, to, I want like every bite, to, if I'm paying like three or four or five times the amount, every bite better count. Like I... You know, because if it doesn't, I might as well just buy the cheap stuff, honestly. Well, that's just, you know, the way that you explained that, where it was like one or a zero, like you're buying some, what, roughage? You're buying roughage? Yep. (laughs) Well, and plus whatever else. Yeah, and whatever else, you know, because organics are still allowed to have certain amount of, you know, pesticide you know there's some gray area there and so you might be getting negative nutrition is my point it's not only a zero it could be negative nutrition and it's like if I'm paying five bucks for a head of lettuce I better not be getting negative nutrition like that is not gonna happen I see that I see that all the time with clients when they bring in their their stuff that they're taking it's like yeah you know that in fact that's hurting you um you know and yes that and you're paying just, for it. <laughs> yes. Yes. You know. Yes. That's so sad. Um, right. You know, but we think we're doing these great things for our body. Like, you know, generally speaking. And and that's just where bioindividuality comes into play, too. Well, too. And, I like, mean, the first step really is even just, like, caring or noticing. So that is step one. It's not, like. Step one is making sure that every bite you, you know, take matters. Step one is actually realizing that what goes into your body is affecting all your cells. And like, how does that make you feel? And then step two is caring. And then step three is doing something about it. So there's several steps to get to before this weird bricks meter testing. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. You know, it's interesting because when I first started eating healthy or having to, you know, change my diet uh, when I was, you know, when I got sick, then I didn't, I could not afford organic food. Right. So I ate, I bought veggie wash. 
you know? Yeah. And yep. I ate, you know, the clean 15, and I ate as natural of a meat as I could have afforded, free yep. of antibiotics. Um, yep. And I just ate whole foods because that's all I could yeah. afford. Absolutely. Uh, you know, as I've moved forward, and honestly, I feel like just organic in general became has been become more accessible than even mm-hmm. when I started. And oh, so, absolutely, uh, yeah. So it's easier for me to, to and, and cheaper in some ways uh, to get some organic. And there's just certain things I just refuse to buy otherwise. But though I love being able to get my stuff from, you know, the CSA. I feel like I don't even go grocery shopping in the summer. It's fabulous. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. You know? I know we have, we just got our freezer full of meats and we just got like a whole bunch of eggs and we have our milk. We got our butter. And right, so now I'm filling in with veggies, you know, and whatever, like bulk beans and rice and things like that. But it's so nice to get like less and less and less on that weekly. For us, it's weekly because I have so many people here, but weekly grocery store trip where you're like, do I, am I just going to look around or do I actually need something? Like, am I just looking to buy something? Because I feel like maybe I don't need to go to the grocery store. (laughs) Well, I mean, and and then it's it's like at my house, a lot of certain things always go faster than others of course yeah and um you know fruit being one of them Mm -hmm. um apples are a huge (laughs) a huge thing um so I think I was able to get I mean a really good deal on a case of apples nice like a case I think it was like 40 pounds for like 15 dollars oh that's awesome organic yesterday so I was like wow where did you get that? Let me just, um, it was at Mike's Discount Foods. Ah, oh, you're the second fr- person to mention that in two days. My friend texted me. She's like, do you want any of this beef tallow or beef? Yeah, the tallow. They have it on sale. I'm like, yes, where are you? And she was like, I'm at Mike's Discount Foods. And it's like, okay. Well, I, they have a they have a range of food there. So it's not all yeah. healthy. By all right, means. right. But but if you follow their Facebook page, they will they ah. post when stuff comes in. And so, okay. like, there's a time of year where, like, they'll have, like, a case of, like, organic strawberries for, like, a dollar a thing or whatever it is. So nice. that's, yeah. you know, when you run. Yeah. <laughs> you, yeah. You run over there and you get what right. you, um, what's available. Because, I mean, a lot of the times the stuff they have there is doesn't fall down that tree. But there are still good things there there's um they kind of just buy you know close to the end date or depending so you know yeah where those dates get confusing I don't know apparently I was looking at consumer report I was looking at consumer report and right now consumer report is all about um wellness this week oh interesting uh, their version of wellness like or our version they're, of they're talking about, you know, they're talking about Reiki and they're talking about turmeric okay. and they're talking about um, like sell by dates and what does those mean? And I mean, the whole consumer right. report was actually quite nice compared to what I would have um, thought. It would That's have encouraging. Actually. I mean, I'd like him to pick a car, but I've not been impressed with some other of their articles, <laughs> but you know, I know, right. right? Well, I think it's a, I think it's a step in the right direction. Oh, anything I mean, that's a step in the right direction. Right. 
So yes. I was I was yes. pleasantly surprised nice. myself yesterday. That's so I was like, awesome. Oh, my mom brought it over to me. She was like, "Look, I oh, think you would so really cool. like this magazine." Oh, <laughs> She's she's very into consumer reports, so that's hey, my dad was too. Um, my mom and dad had a subscription all the time. I knew more about reliability records than anyone who is fifteen should should know. Like that car is not reliable. Why did you bother? I mean yeah. <laughs> Because it's cute. Because it's cute. Did you check the consumer reports, reliability report and crash test ratings? I don't think you did. <laughs> I was well, a super interesting you teenager. Were. Oh, it sounds, you know, as I drove around in my uh, 10-year-old Chevy Cavalier convertible, that roof leaked. Oh, yeah, I had a car like that, too. <laughs> and and then uh, the RPMs wouldn't stay up, so, like, if I was going to, it would just stall out. So, I, at, like, yep. a stoplight, I'd have to have my foot on the gas and the um, break at the same time so that nice. I could the RPMs high enough so it wouldn't die and it would That's only cute. go tw- it would only drive for 20 minutes at a time <laughs> and I feel so like you should have known me back then I could have helped you I could have helped you yeah Dory. yeah sorry I think my parents did this on purpose to me That's, because yeah then keep I you could, close to no home no matter what yes I was never 20 minutes farther than 20 <laughs> minutes away from I love it from home. That's awesome. it was a very Smart decision um, on their behalf. That is great. And um, <laughs> so enough about great. me and my my cool <laughs> car when I was in school. Um, but it was a back to consumer reports. So. The cool episode. Yeah, anyway, back to the cool uh, magazine. No, even more cool is the fact that it's time for a commercial break, and when we come back, we'll have the first part of Mark's interview. And I did notice Which someone, I'm... we had a caller that was calling in. And so if there was someone that wanted to, to have a question on the air, they could call back during this commercial break. We are still learning how to mute ourselves and listen to other people. So feel free to call back. We'll be back in, I don't know, four minutes if we can figure it out. <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, on Connected Revelation. We'll be back soon. On Freedomizer Radio. Hi, Frank Offer here for the Anti-Shoe. Anti-Shoe is a great way to solve any foot problem you have or could possibly get. Anti-Shoe will eliminate athlete's foot, ingrowing toenails, bad foot odor, nail fungus. It even helps eliminate joint pain, ankle pain, back pain, and knee pain. This miracle cure is 100% natural and is as old as mankind. Are you sick of hurting your feet squeezing into uncomfortable, costly shoes? How about the awkward balancing act that is just dangerous and could ruin your day? Let's face it, you have better ways to spend your money and the frustration and be healthy while doing it. Anti-shoe is not $100. It's not $50. It's not $20 either. It does not even cost you $1. Anti-shoe is yours free. And even better, there's no number to call, no payments to make, and no shipping and handling charges. Here's how anti-shoe works. First, just remove whatever's covering your foot. It's that easy. 
Act now and double the offer. Take off the other one. People everywhere are using anti-shoe, including Hollywood's elite. Here's what an anti-shoe user has to say. I love using anti-shoe everywhere I go. No more back pain, very comfortable, no more shoes. There are no laws, no health department rules, and no safety issues against the anti-shoe. Anti-shoe is perfectly legal, so don't be fooled. Using anti-shoe increases your awareness and helps you avoid dangerous hazards and costly medical bills just because you know where you're stepping. With anti-shoe, you'd be aware of where you were walking. And look at this mess. Shoes are dirtier than your feet. You never wash your shoes. You wash your feet hopefully every day. Instant satisfaction guaranteed. So enjoy the healthy, natural benefits today. Start using anti-shoe now for free. My toes itch. My back is in pain. My feet smell. Well, I suffer from knee and hip pain. If you suffer from any of those symptoms, Shoeless is a natural foot remedy to treat most symptoms of pain infection and other ailments caused by shoes. Shoeless can be applied simply by removing whatever is on your feet. Shoeless is a non-prescription solution to most foot problems that are caused by wearing shoes. In most cases, when using Shoeless, it does not impair your ability to operate a vehicle, walk, run, shop, jump, play, move, dance, sing, flip, or other human activities. Those using Shoeless have reported feeling happy, less pain, better mood, and have a better sense of health and freedom. Other benefits also include eliminating athlete's foot, foot odor, fungus, and other forms of bacteria known to have been caused by shoes. Some users of Shoeless may be told that it's against the law. Ask your doctor for a note when using Shoeless. Other side effects include a higher sense of awareness and in your surroundings. Do not use shoeless if you are standing in a pit of fire. Using shoeless may not increase your chances of flying or winning the lottery. However, some users have reported having higher self-esteem and positive attitudes as well as more confidence. Shoeless is best when used all the time. Use caution when using shoeless until your body adapts. Shoeless has also been proven to increase learning, attention, help fight depression, and ease effects of autism. Feel free to ask your doctor how Shoeless can benefit you. For more information about Shoeless and its benefits, visit barefootislegal.org. Hi, thank you for listening to Connective Revelations with Joyce Hope and Annie Booker. Today we have a special guest, Mark Heyman from Pleasant View Farms, located in Wisconsin. How are you today, Mark? I'm doing very good. We're so glad to have you here today. Thanks. Thanks for taking time from your busy schedule to uh, join us here. Uh, I know that you're super busy on the farm. Any exciting stories happening today? Um. 
Well, we've been hauling manure today. This morning, forenoon, we went out and checked fence. I moved some cattle to pasture yesterday. And we took our chickens to the pasture Saturday, I think it was. Um, we're trying to get all our cattle out on grass now that it's starting to grow. And so that makes it extra busy time to prepare fences and everything. But Well, we very much appreciate that. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about your farming and make what makes it so special? Well, first I'll introduce people. They can look us up at www.pleasantviewfarmswi.com. And we live in the driftless region of Wisconsin where it's very hilly. And, I mean, this was perfect country for dairy, family-type farms. And it's getting robbed by big agribusiness now. And I, it's really sad to see so many farmers going out of business that could have been providing for their family. And what really makes us different from most people, in 92, I started an or organic egg. I was actually the first certified organic commercial egg producer in the state of Wisconsin in 92. By 94, I had 13 Amish that were producing eggs, and we were washing them one egg at a time. We were weighing them. We were candling them. We were putting them in cartons all by hand, and we were going to go crazy. So I asked Organic Valley if they would take over the eggs, and they decided they would. And then in 95, I told them that I was done with the bear that I had created because to my belief or my thought, bigger isn't better. And what's ethically organic has been lost in the organic movement of big business. And so we've returned to a more natural way that we do grass-fed, we do no soy, no corn, no pesticides, no um. We're not certified organic no more because I believe it's hijacked by big business, but we believe that we're beyond organic, and we're trying to regenerate our soil through intensive grazing, which puts high organic matter back in the soil, which stores a tremendous amount of carbon as soon as you go and till the soil that organic matter starts to break down and it releases its carbon back into the atmosphere, which is thus destroying the atmosphere. And or, So we, we believe that we're m much above the normal, even organic, grass-fed, soy-free. I mean, it takes all of them to make a good, healthy, nutrient-dense product. Oh, that sounds amazing. Annie, do you have any questions? Yeah, so Mark, I was wondering what drove your um, decision to go into the, you know, no soy, no corn. It's been important in my family to seek eggs that are pasture-raised and, you know, soy-free and things like that. What was the motivating factor for you? Well, when we were organic, we were big production, you know, I only had 700 chickens, but we wanted 95 to 98% lay, so we fed corn, we fed soy, we fed fish, etc. And on our journey through healthy food and stuff, we came to realize that, well, number one, soy is just way overdone. Everything you eat has soy of some kind in it. 
And it, it, the estrogen level is so high that it is causing so much trouble with people. And we chose to go soy-free. And then with 92 to 93% of the corn in the United States being a GMO corn now, um, even organic corn gets a lot of cross-contamination and stuff. So we chose to go with all small grains if we use any grain. We, we love barley. It's a great feed. We use some oats. We use some wheat for the chickens and pigs. We use a little bit of flax, and but we, we chose to stay away from what I would call the two biggest GMOs, the soy and the corn. And um, to do that, do you need to, do you grow your own feed, or are you able to easily source that? We're, we're very fortunate here. You know, I'm only seven miles from the Organic Valley headquarters, so there's a tremendous amount of organic feed grown in the close proximity. I actually have three feed mills that I can get from within 20 to 25 miles that sell organic. And one that's about 12 miles from us, they have a lot of barley, wheat, oats. The other one does have a lot more corn and soy. He's more big-time organic. But the smaller one that's closer to us that we use, they they pretty much, we've never had a problem getting barley or wheat or oats in an organic status. So that we've been really blessed that way. And have you seen a growing demand then for eggs the way that you produce them? Yes. Um, I, I would say right here in Wisconsin, I've had a hard time building a market. We, we are surrounded by just so many Amish, and all the Amish have signs out. You know, they sell their eggs locally, and it's, usually it's their own feed. They farm mostly organically, if not certified organic. That in this immediate area, I've had a little hard time generating as much sales. I've been going up into Minneapolis, St. Paul, Minnesota for three years now, and that market is really growing fast and a tremendous interest in, you know, holistic or, you know, regenerative type foods. And so very, very thankful to have the Twin Cities area for my predominant market. Yes, and um, I have had the wonderful opportunity the last three years to be able to be um, one of your wonderful customers. Uh, and what other products do you also sell? Well, we sell, like I say, meat, and that's pork, chicken, beef, turkeys. Uh, but we also sell maple syrup, honey. We have a small flock of, or, I mean, bunch of bees running run around 15 hives. My daughter makes soap, so we do sell some soap. I sell maple syrup. Uh, we do vegetables. The vegetables this year we are getting from our Amish neighbors. Uh, we tried to grow them last year, but with the beef and the dairy and the pork and the turkeys and chickens and stuff, we just could not do a real adequate job with the vegetables and we also sell butter and cheese, which is made by a local factory, just 
about 20 miles from us, and it's right on his farm. He's very small scale, but he understands what raw cheese is. In order to sell it legally, we have to age it 60 days. So our raw cheese is legal to be sold, and it's very, very healthy, very good for you. It's made with our own milk from our own grass-fed cows, so we feel confident that it's a superior product. And the, the cheese is a cultured sea salt butter, not, not the cheese, but the butter is cultured with sea salt, and it's a very, very, just a sweet butter, more like what you would have made when you shook it yourself. So we're really thankful for that, too. Yes, it's, it's very, very good. And um, I wanted to ask a little bit about the type of cows that you raise. Well, in our when we started, we had half of our barn was Holsteins and half was Jerseys. And then as we begin switching more to grass, which began in 2014, at that time we were feeding a large amount of grain to our cows. And I had a vet out every month. I had the hoofs trimmer out every month. And we were losing money fast. So we went to all grass. And in 2018, I didn't have the hoofs trimmer out once. I had the vet out once to do a little bit of preg checking, but never for a health issue or anything. And... So we've been just very thankful for that. Now, what was your question? <laughs> I was going to ask you about, um, you were talking about A1 and A2 milk um, yes. before. So how does that work uh, in regards to, because I know that you do dairy too. So can you explain the difference between an A1 and an A2 uh, milk for people who maybe don't know? Yeah, we've also been working on converting our cows for four years now to all A2A2, which we are not there yet. But A2A2 is the beta caseins in the milk. And there's a guy by the name of Keith Woodford from New Zealand that wrote a book, The Devil in the Milk. And A1A1 milk, which is the normal, standard, pretty much Holstein-type milk that America has, has a lot of free radicals in it, and they cause, like, leaky gut syndrome, and these free radicals slip through the gut out into the body, and they cause a lot of lactose intolerances and a lot of just digestive issues and stuff, whereas A2A2 milk is more like a mother's milk or sheep milk or water buffalo milk, and there's not nearly as much, if any, intolerance whatsoever to A2. Now, some say there's zero. I hesitate to say that, but A2A2 milk is very much, people that are lactose intolerant can still usually consume A2A2 milk. Now, in order to go to the A2 milk and to get a high grazing cow, we've bred our Holsteins and Jerseys. First, we started crossbreeding the two. Then we introduced some shorthorn, a lot of Norwegian red, some New Zealand Holstein blood because it was better grazing. Then we have a little bit of Swiss, a little bit of Ayrshire. We did some Montbelliards, Normandies. We just recently bought some um, Flexi semen. I did purchase a bull two years ago, and it's an American Red Devon bull. 
which is more of an actual beast bull, really, but it's super good at grazing. It can stay fat. They stay on a flat rock, and you couldn't kill it with an axe, and so we really excited about we're just breeding our first heifers now this spring, and I think they're going to be just what I would call a solid workhorse, maybe not near the milk of a Holstein or a Jersey, but yet able to hold its flesh, able to breed back, able to produce milk, and just, you know, if a cow produces lots of milk, but then it can't breed, well, then it didn't accomplish its purpose. Or if it takes care of its body and doesn't produce any milk, but you lost out too. So you have to have a solid cow that can utilize enough just roughage, even poor quality roughage, and still be able to produce and raise offspring and carry its weight. And and our goal is with the meat, you know, with the American Red Devon, is to have a, a steer that carries decent weight and is a much more marbled and tasty type beef than the traditional dairy animal on an all-grass setting, too. So we are pursuing that pretty hard. Susie, did you have a question to make? Yeah, I was, that's really interesting. I knew about the A2, A2 cows, but I wasn't, I didn't know that there was such a huge difference between the um, A1, A1 milk. I mean, I'd, I'd heard about it, but I didn't know that the A1 could be so disruptive just all on its own. I just knew to look for um, A2 milk when we were sourcing. So that was super interesting. <clears throat> um, and you mentioned that you also raise pork. Is there, um, you know, I, I think traditionally people think about pork as just, you know, pigs just eating scraps and maybe not being raised super healthfully. And um, how do you raise your pigs? We have switched to, it's called the Idaho pasture pig, which is a cross between, I think, three different breeds. And they have a very short snout. They do a lot of grazing. I just love to watch them out. And they just eat the grass just like a cow. But they don't root it up quite as bad. We used to have a lot of Berkshires. Then we tried some Tamworth. And Tamworth, I would say, was my worst experience. Their nose, I always said you could see it coming a minute ahead of time because its nose would come around the corner a minute before the body got there. But so, <laughs> so the idle pasture pig has been much better for us at not tearing up the whole field, but yet getting out there to graze. And they were, that's what they were kind of bred for with that thought in mind. And we have gone to a closed herd to where we actually bred a brother back to sisters this year to just try to maintain. What we did was we selected ones that, number one, if you in the wintertime you have to feed them grain in a trough. Some pigs inevitably stand in the trough, tip the trough over or something. We wanted pigs that maybe don't have manners, but, you know, at least have decency to not waste all your feed and so we chose ones that didn't have those habits ones that still grew good they weren't necessarily exactly the top of the ones that we produced last year but they were definitely in the top half 
And so we're we're just we're a month off from having piglets. We're a little bit late this year. We wish we had them about up now, but we don't. We have four mama pigs that are going to have piglets. You know, like I say, from a month to two months from now, but. And do pigs, do you raise those soy-free as well? Yes, they are raised pretty much exclusively on barley. We feed barley, we do feed a hog mineral to them, which is an organic mineral. In some ways, I do believe that if we get our soils where they need to be or should be, you know, the soil should provide the minerals, but as of right now, I know our area is considered a selenium deficient area. There's certain other elements. Now, I did just recently read an article about on the general egg scale that glyphosate as a chelator, we used to, like, with, we have a small flock of sheep, and we always had to watch the sheep because they get copper toxicity. Well, now on most soils where they use glyphosate, they've tied the copper up so much that they have to feed copper to their sheep because the soil, even though it might test in there, it's chelated to the glyphosate and it can't be absorbed by the plant no more. So we do feed an organic mineral to ours just in case the soil is deficient. Sure. Now, you, you talked about rebuilding the soil and farming in a way that um, rebuilds it. Do you measure, um, you know, soil depth or, like, you know, the different layers of soil as you're farming? Like, how do you determine what a healthy area of your pasture looks like and what areas might need, like, more remediation? Well, we did a... I don't know if you've ever heard of the Undie Challenge. We did last year where we went into, like, the neighbor's field, and we buried a brand-new pair of underwear, and then we buried them in our fields. And if the soil's really alive, and I can't remember the number of days it was 60 or 90 that my wife did it, but if the microbial activity in the soil's alive like it should be, they will just consume the underwear to all that's left is the elastic within that period of time. And on soil that, like my my neighbor's soil here has been no-till corn for at least the 17 years that we've been here. And it was starting to get a few holes in it. And part of that's because it's no-till, you know, disrupting the soil by tillage actually breaks down the microorganisms and breaks down the soil structure. So even conventional no-till is better for the soil, but it was not near the amount of decomposition that we had on ours. Now, we've been listening to Gabe Brown. He wrote a book called Dirt to Soil, and we do a lot of, we rotationally graze our cattle on small lots. We don't mob graze as hard as he recommended or we haven't in the past we're thinking of trying a little harder this year where you let the grass grow you know knee high or better turn your cattle in there at a super high ratio so that about two-thirds of it you'd like to see just toppled down to the ground and then they you know they eat a third they defecate and urinate on it and you take them off within just a matter of hours and that two-thirds plant length that's still there, 
number one, it keeps a much better root growth. Every every inch of top that's bit off, an inch of bottom dies, okay. which builds which builds organic matter. But at the same time, if you say try to clear off to an inch high, you eliminated the ability to survive a drought or something by shortening your roots to one inch. Mm-hmm. So if if you allow them to trample two thirds of it, two thirds of the roots are still there. Mm-hmm. And I just I just have an article in front of me right now talking about the Nebraska flood, for instance, and they say that over 15 million acres in Nebraska is in cropped acres, not sod-forming acres. And the difference between if it would have been in a sod-forming, you know, like grassland versus cropland, would have been 732.96 billion gallons of water that could have been stored in the soil if it would have been higher organic matter, sod-forming type, you know. But the lower the organic matter, the porosity isn't there. It can't absorb the the water and stuff. So I think it, you know, people raise, you know, cattle are ruining the environment and stuff. But if you go to Alan Savory or Gabe Brown or some of them and really look it up, they they could actually save the world, not destroy it. Yeah, I was just reading a, a article um, by the Savory Institute, and it was going into that you know the grass-fed cattle and um, sequestering the carbon and and all that, and how it could help save the earth instead of the other way around. But of course, they have to be raised the right way, as you know. It's not the conventional. Yeah. KFO farms that are, you know, wasting water and not rebuilding the soil. It's exactly the opposite. And people have a hard time differentiating between, you know, pastured meat and then this conventional meat. Um, and they're completely different and have different effects on the environment. Yes, they do. So I just have one more um, follow-up question. Do you think that... Um, so you have all this knowledge of, you know, rebuilding the soil and how to raise animals. Do you, are you passing that um, information down to your children or do you have people come work on your farm that you're teaching them about this so that they can go start farms of their own? Or how do you see this sort of legacy uh, living on and spreading and growing so that we can save the world of small farms? Yeah. Um, I do have one son that's still here at home. He's 23, and he's much more uh, has a much better memory for one. But he listens to a tremendous amount of talks by the Grass-Fed Exchange, Alan Savory, um, Gabe Brown, or right now he's listening to a guy. He's actually from Zimbabwe too, like Alan was, and this guy is talking about. The Mashona cow, which is a cow that they have there. They also have some in Florida, some in Texas, some in Missouri. And the Mashona cow, I'm not ready to switch yet. I like my Devon, but my boy thinks that he he, he ordered some semen. He's going to try some on his. Being a much more heat sense, or I mean, heat tolerant, insect tolerant, um, just a 
able to even hold its weight in the dry, hot seasons in Zimbabwe and stuff, you know, that we could graze dead grass until it snows or if you was somebody that had a cropping acreage, whether it be on wheat stubble, barley stubble, or maybe it was a cornfield even, they could eat the corn husks or whatever, you know, and just hold their own, whereas many of our cattle that we have in the United States, even the Angus and stuff, you know, we've bred them into being a a pampered show-type cow. They're just not as tough and hardy as foreign countries still have. And so he's very knowledgeable with that. I do have one other son. He does not live at home that is very much into natural. He's not as much organic again. He also has a dairy. But other otherwise, I, I still have six children at home, and we all work together to, you know, get together our products and orders ready and deliver them and stuff. So my goal, and that's why I call it Pleasant View Farms with the S, is that I had 10 children, and my goal was that somehow, someday, I could keep all 10 of them into agriculture. And so right now we're working, my one, the 23-year-old does the sheep, and the chickens, my one girl wants to take over the pigs. My other girl wants to do turkeys and broilers and stuff. And so at some point, I'm hoping that I can have all my children employed. And we are open to farm visits. Right now, we have been talking a lot about building a couple cabins for Airbnbs for people when they do come. I do not really have work for people that would come simply because I do have, you know, there's eight of us living here. And so I haven't offered any internships like I did when I was in university or anything, or, you know, it could be a private, it wouldn't have to be a school internship, but a private internship even where they could acquire some skills and stuff. And that's possibly at a later date, but right now we're not ready for that. Okay. We're going to take a quick break. You are listening to Connected Revelation on Freedomizer Radio. Back soon. I'm Annie Booker. And I'm Joyce Hope. Join us on Freedomizer Radio on Sundays at 1.30 Pacific Standard Time, 3.30 Central, and 4.30 Eastern on Connected Revelation. You are listening to Connected Revelation on Freedomizer Radio with... Annie Booker, and Joyce Hope. We are talking right now to Mark of Pleasant View Farms. Thanks for being with us, Mark. Yes, it's great to come back after a break. (laughs) (laughs) So um, here's a good question. I think we've talked a little bit about um, when you started, but were how did you end up in farming to begin with how did how did your path get there well i i'm gonna when i was four years old my dad quit where he'd been working and we moved up to northern minnesota and he bought two cows yeah he worked at Polaris snowmobiles from 1967 till he retired in 2004 i think is when he retired 2000 yeah, I think four, might have been five, I can't remember. 
But anyhow, so he bought two cows and we rented a farm. Actually, we rented those two cows the first few years. And so I grew up on a farm. We, my dad farmed until I was gone to university. I went to university to become a county extension. I got disenchanted with modern extension in that you don't really have to have any head knowledge. If somebody calls wanting to know how do you do this or that, well, I'll look it up for you. And you look it up on the computer. And I, I just thought that, you know, it's this is a waste of time. So I never did. I did get my associate degree of applied science of agriculture, but I never did pursue the actual field of being an extension agent. So then we moved to Wisconsin in 91, November of 91. And I thought I was going to join the Amish. We did go to the Amish church till 94, but I never felt that I really fit in. I believe that, you know, our faith is more of a relationship. Jesus Christ is alive, and our relationship has to be alive. It's not a legal, cut-and-dried type way of living or nothing. So, anyhow, when I was going to the Amish church, that's when I started the the chickens, and I did it more because I thought a small family farm, we only had seven acres, and I could run 700 chickens, no problem. We had our one milk cow for the house, and she had a calf, so we had a calf to put every so often. Or, But 700 chickens, when I started, and we shipped them to Goodness Greenness in Chicago, he came, brought, sent a semi up once a week, and we shipped out our eggs, and we made good money. I got a dollar sixty-five a dozen, right on my door. And as soon as I turned it over to Organic Valley, there's trucking to the processing plant, there's breakage in the processing plant, there's trucking back to Organic Valley, then to the stores, and and so our, our price went to ninety-five cents in just one week. And wow. so that 70 cents we lost with all our profits. So then to compensate, they thought we needed to go bigger. Well, bigger is not the answer. But so then in 95, I actually bought a bigger farm, 77-acre farm, and decided I was going to go into milking cows. And I still to this day remember the night I knelt down beside those cows. Felt like I finally came home again. You know, I hadn't milked cows since 91 to 95. And it was, that's where I belonged with milking those cows. Well, we just did it just a little over a year, and we sold the cows and bought goats. And we got up to where we were milking 485 goats. And in the 90s, we made a lot of money. In the 2000s, we lost a lot of money. 2011, I lost $100,000. And so we switched back to cows. And now I've lost that much on cows too. But so we decided to direct market our all of our products in 2000, must have been 14, I think. And that's the only thing that has saved our small family farm is by selling my meat and eggs privately at a price that you know. If I if I continue to sell them to Organic Valley, where they're I think they're paying a dollar and. Well, that might be two eleven now even, but it it can easily cost you two to two fifty a dozen to produce them, and so unless you really push maximum production, you know I know people that 
keep their chickens in, they keep the windows shut, because if the coop gets below 65 degrees, they start eating a little more feed, and then the cost of production goes up. And we like to see our chickens outside scratching in the snow. Um, but then I have to have a higher price because I do feed more feed. And But I, I would have to say that farming, just like my children, you know, it, it becomes a part of you. It's something that you almost couldn't live without. You make it sound so amazing. Um, I wanted to ask, what is your favorite part of the farming? I guess the one thing that I really, really enjoy is being able to move my cows to a new pasture, you know. And I do that every morning and night, but I just love to watch them go out into a foot-tall mixture of grass, alfalfa, clover, you know, plantain, uh, various different types of forbs and stuff. And, and just you can just hear them just munching and just ripping and crunching and it. I just I just really enjoy watching that. That sounds amazing. And uh, I wanted to ask, what do you find to be the most challenging part of your job? Well, I guess one of the biggest things that we feel is that somehow we have to educate people, just like the A2 milk, the power of grass-fed meat, grass-fed milk or or the power of nutrient-dense food, you know, and people, so, so many are just willing to, and I go through it in our own church. I had a lot of extra eggs. That was two years ago. And so I offered them, I knew Quick Trip had them for 99 cents, so I said I'd offer my soy-free organic pastured eggs for a dollar and a half. And my, my daughter's mother-in-law said, oh, I can get mine at Quick Trip for 99 cents. So I just dumped them to the pigs by the bucketful because I'm, I'm not competing against Quick Trip. You know, my egg is, I, I don't mean to talk out of place or anything, but my egg is worth far, far more than Quick Trip's egg. And to try to educate people that, you know, our, our motto <clears throat> excuse me, which you'll see on our website, it's on our brochures, on my business card, is live soil, live food, live you. And if you're not willing to find live food or somebody that's trying to build live soil and stuff, we have to face it. We as an American society, are we're dying at an alarming rate. And there, there is hope for us. We just need to wake up to it. Absolutely. I am so glad that uh, when I was looking for, you know, fresh, I was looking for chicken, basically. I was looking for chicken meat um, three years ago, and I put out a feeler, and you were recommended uh, to me. And the, the drop site that you were doing at that time was in St. Paul, and I drove all the way to St. Paul, which is completely on the other side of the world from where I live in the Twin Cities. And I just was like, hey, hi, I, I bought some chicken from you. Do you think your farmer would be interested in having my place as a drop? <laughs> and uh, she was like, well, maybe. And so uh, she contacted you, you contacted me, and like within two weeks I had a drop at my house. It was quite remarkable, and I've had the opportunity to 
uh, have a drop at my place ever since. Um, so I've been very grateful for that. I look forward to my, my, my drops when uh, the food comes. I have a good group of people who are committed to ordering. Always looking for more people to order, of course. Uh, and could you let us know again uh, what your website is for ordering? Yes, our website is www.pleasantviewfarmswi.com. And so you can, they can order right on there. It has a list of all the drop sites you have uh, in Wisconsin and in Minnesota, correct? That's right, yes. And you can do all your ordering and payment right through the website? That's right. Um, we, are still, we, are, we are still working on fine-tuning it. We ran into a little trouble this past week in that our inventories did not match with what we really had on some of the meat products. So some people ordered ground or, or I guess it was breakfast sausage was one. And we wound up when we started filling orders, we did not have quite what we thought we had, so we were a little short. So we're still working on that. We do have we have five chest freezers that are upright, and then we have a 12-foot long commercial freezer. And so it, it is. I mean, we just started the website. We just tried to get the inventory in the last two months or something, and. We're still struggling to make sure that this is what we really have. Maybe, maybe we'll always, you know, because if if somebody doesn't order over the website, then we have to manually go in and make sure we deduct whatever they ordered. Or if we eat something, we have to make sure we deduct it or it changes our inventory. So there is a little bit of a time-consuming or something to try to make sure that if if it says it's available, we want to make sure it is available which we all appreciate as your consumers. I wanted to ask a question. What would you say your family's favorite product is that you make? I, I guess my favorite would be, I just love, you know, grass-fed pork chops. Most of my family would be more into the steak. They really like just a, a nice, tender, but yet firm, but yet, you know, not fat, not, but just juicy, I mean, a good steak. So I, I would say that, although at the same time, what I feel the most, we, we've gotten the farthest in the ability to do would be my broilers and turkeys, because there there we have, um, like this year we're doing a brown broiler, and it, it was developed specifically to be able to fend for itself, but yet it was developed to have just a gourmet meat, a meat that just, I, I want that wow factor, you know, that when you bite into it, you say, wow, this is good. And, and with my beef, I don't feel I'm there yet because I still have too much dairy in my animals that they're they're good but it's not wow yet it's a process so are there any uh, specials or anything you would like people to know about coming up for your 
farm. I, I, we're going to have a special on ground beef, I know. Um, we, we've been holding off on butchering. I do have two pigs going in tomorrow. But even there, we've been trying to hold off until we get them onto grass more. I haven't butchered any beef since last fall, which we still have a pretty good supply. Because we feel there, again, if we, you know, you can run them all summer on pasture, and then you put them in on dry hay all winter, butcher them in the winter, and you've lost a lot of your nutrients. So we, we feel very important that we allow them to have, you know, 90-plus days of grass before we start butchering again. And so we are going to run a special on ground beef. And we're probably going to run a special on pork, but that won't be for a couple months yet. All right. And uh, when is the next time you are going to be in the Minneapolis area? We will be in Minneapolis on May 1st. And, and then again on the 15th, every two weeks we go to Minneapolis. And on the off-going weeks on Fridays, like I will go to Madison, Wisconsin, this Friday the 26th. Okay. Okay. And so let's say somebody has a question for you. Are they able to get a hold of you through your website? Or how is the best way that they can get a hold of you? Yes, they can. We like people to... Become a member or, okay, I better back up. When they, when they see the website, it says become a member. Now, you don't have to become a member to order. You don't have to become a member to be placed on our email list. If you enter your information and stuff and ask a question, that, then it allows us to correspond with you. It allows us to send out any promotions we might have. Um, a quick reminder that we're going to be in the Twin Cities in eight hours or something. In, in the past, you know, like when I started in the cities or stuff, all the drop site leaders took the orders and I would deliver a lump sum. That That was very time-consuming for the leaders. They had to collect the money. They had to sort the product, make sure everybody got what they ordered, make sure nobody took too much. Or So with our online store, we collect the money. I drop it off in Little Pleasant View Farm bags that has a receipt staple to it so everybody knows this is mine. And it just makes it a lot simpler. The drop site leader doesn't even have to be there because I organize it and people can grab their bag and go. And That's great. And are you ever open to having more drop sites in the Twin Cities area? We are interested. Actually, it sounds like we're going to start one up in White Bear Lake first week in June, I think. That's great. I do have... I do have some interest over in the Eden Prairie area, and I, I would be interested, you know, I wouldn't mind having, you know, if you put the Twin Cities as a square, three on the east, three in the center, three on the west or something. Now, I, I do like to have a minimum of $250 before I can, so if one family only wants to order 100 
then you have to have another two families or something because if I only make, let's say, $50 on a drop or something, I can't drive 20 minutes or and in the city that don't take long to use 20 minutes to get there and drop off here a little bit and then you drive 20 minutes back and you only made $50. It's just not worth it. So I like $250 minimum orders to start a new drop site. But I am interested, yes. All right. So if you're interested in, in the Twin Cities area and you're interested in setting a drop site with Mark, visit his website and fill out a little form and he'll get the information from you. Well, Mark, I want to thank you for being on our show today. Uh, Annie, do you have any other questions? Um, really quick, I just wanted to, you know, you had talked briefly about the, you know, 99 cents a dozen eggs. And um, we always remark in my family because we love eggs and we pay five to five fifty a dozen for our eggs and happily do so. But, you know, one dozen eggs feeds a family of six with maybe like a side of bacon. That's, that's a whole dinner for, you know, under $10. And it's, like, it's the most nutrient-rich meal. And so really when you think about the cost of that, like that's, that's the cost of one meal at a restaurant. So people bulk at, you know, five, five fifty a dozen, $6 a dozen. But, I mean, the quality and the nourishment – that you get from that dozen eggs is enough to feed a family. That's, that's enough to feed a whole family and you're satisfied and you're healthy and that's not going to happen with 99 cent eggs, you know? And so when you really put it into perspective, um, five, six, even $7 a dozen is not really that expensive in the, in the scheme of things. And when you're thinking about food and food quality and how much a meal actually costs, it's not really that much. I, I agree completely with you. And, uh, I mean, we did have, and we are going to do it again. We had a guy run a test on our eggs to see where the nutrient quality is. And he did not get us the results. He said they're right at the top of the scale, maybe not the very top. But I know Joel Salatin had ran tests on his eggs versus, you know, regular cage-run eggs or something. And one thing, like, we do feed some flax or the omega-3s. They're on green grass and stuff that that I do expect our eggs. And in, in many different minerals or vitamins or something, sometimes they'll even be 100 times or more of what a cage-laid egg is. So, and food, food is health. Food is life and we need to realize that. Absolutely. Absolutely. I did a blog post a little while back and it compared, you know, caged eggs with um, like the cage free eggs, which are, that's barely any better to the free range, which are marginally better to pastured eggs and the amount of vitamin E and vitamin A and even vitamin D in the pastured eggs was exponentially more than any of the other eggs. So people are, you know, foolishly kind of buying into what the labels say. These are cage-free. These are, you know, um, whatever, the organic. The organic seals on there, they're great. And it's like, no, these chickens need to be out 
on pasture, getting sun, getting fresh air, eating those bugs, um, and what you get in that egg is going to be, you know, so much more nutritious than when they're all cooped up or even cage-free, you know, it's so deceiving, all the labels, like you talked about the organic label, it's so deceiving and people kind of buy into it. They don't know what they're getting. Yeah, in, in January, it was a Weston Price meeting and they were talking about how blessed they are in the Madison, Wisconsin area to have not just Whole Foods, Willie Street, um, Whitman's, you know, and how all these different places are starting to carry organic foods. And I, I just had to stop with them and talk to them because unless you know your farmer, I, I have good friends. And, I mean, one of them goes to church with me. He has 20,000 chickens in one barn. They're organic. But they don't necessarily even want the chickens outside. If they go outside, too many. They shut the door for a few days to try to convince them not to because as soon as they go outside, they lose a little production or they feed more feed or, and, you know, there's another one, 35,000 chickens and he's just, they're the same way. You know, they have, oh, they have access to pasture, but they have to cut the pasture because the chickens don't eat them. And so... It's not, it's, and that's what I said, it's not about organics, it's not about grass-fed, it's not about soy-free or cage-free, or it's, it's all of those put together, really, to make a nutrient-dense food, and, and big agribusiness will never fulfill the true mission of having nutrient-dense food. No, because when you have that, when we've been sourcing our food in my family for about 12 years and it's amazing actually we don't need to eat as much food um when we're eating that nutrient-dense food because it's satisfying and it's fulfilling all of those needs of our bodies instead of you know opening a package of chips or you know anything else it's it's so much less wasteful and fulfilling it's you know our health is proof that it, it does something wonderful for our bodies absolutely uh, Mark, I am so grateful that you came into my life, and I want to thank you for joining Annie and me, Joyce, on Connected Revelations this week, and we hope to have you back because I have more questions <laughs> for I you because <laughs> you're, a, you're a, a wealth of knowledge, and we want to share that with the world, so hopefully you'll be willing to join us again. Yes, I'm very willing, and I just wanted to enclose, on our brochure, we talk about a boy's lunch 50 years ago, and it, all he would have had to eat was one apple, one orange, one chicken drumstick, and a bottle of milk. Today, he'd have these 25 apples, 21 oranges, three drumsticks, and two bottles of milk to get the same amount of nutrients. So that's the great nutrition collapse that we have in America, and so that, that's in our little brochure. Um, I just really, I am passionate about what we're doing, and I just pray and hope that we can, it's been a very, very tight winter for us. I just pray and hope that we can survive and help to, to change the lives of the people that we deal with, at least, through nutrition and through the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, that it is a, 
it's a wonderful time to be alive. It's a wonderful time to raise a family, and we need to just look beyond all the chaos and stress of our nation and environment. Amen. Yes. Well, thanks for ha- being here with us, Mark, and we will talk to you soon. All right. Thanks, and keep spreading the word. Thanks, Mark. Thank you. Yep. Yeah, bye. We that did. was amazing. Yeah, he So that was Mark Heyman of uh, Pleasant View Farms. Such a wonderful interview. Um, we are almost out of time. Joyce, who do we have coming up next Sunday? So next Sunday, we are going to be treated with a local company called K&Co. They are located in Osseo, Minnesota. And these two ladies are fantastic. They started their own little boutique um, on Main Street in town, and they recently have started a new initiative called the Label Free Project. So they will be here explaining to us what the Label Free Project is and how you can be joining that. So I'm super excited about that. Yeah, that sounds awesome. And then the next Sunday, we have uh, Stephen Hebert. He is a chiropractor and an author, a local author. Uh, He has written one of the only self-help books I have ever read in my life called Be Yourself and Be Well. Um, He is a really good interview. He came to a book club that I was at and took lots of questions. And his story is really, really interesting. Uh, who do we have coming up in June? We have uh, so June third is Amanda Daniels. So she is a um, she is a business coach for women. So she works with uh, entrepreneurs, particularly women, bringing their business to the next level. Wonderful. So she is yeah. uh, absolutely wonderful, and uh, she definitely has a very big faith face to her business. So it's really, really okay. quite a different take on it. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, as Mark was talking, I mean, obviously we inter- we pre-interviewed him and recorded it and then played it again. So we're listening to it. You're probably listening to it probably the fifth time because you edit it, edit it, um, edit right. it. Yeah. <laughs> We, get, we yep, know yeah, whatever. And, uh, yeah, yep. that. And uh, but I still, I had all these other questions. I'm sitting here. I took notes while he was talking because I was so interested in what he was saying. And then I was taking notes here again when we would like tune in and listen to him again because I have so many more questions. I know, right? Yeah. Really easy to have questions for it. So I want to thank everybody for joining us here. Yeah, thanks for joining us. Radio on Connected Revolution. Yeah, we will be back. <laughs> we'll be back next week. We are not up on the show schedule yet, but you can catch this episode again. It will be uploaded. If you miss Mark's information, you want to send him an email, you want to become a drop site, whatnot, you can get that probably around tomorrow or Tuesday. Um, if you ever want to call in and chat, we would love to talk with you. If you have ideas for show information, you can contact That's us it. and let us know. Yep, and the call-in number is 319-527-1111.
319-527-6208. Again, the call-in number is 319-527-6208. Awesome. Any last, uh, we have a minute and a half left. Any last words here, Joyce? Last words, uh, we should, um, I think we should just finish out with that amazing song. We probably won't get through the whole song, but uh, do you have the information on who the person is? The name of the song is Fight. Yep, and it's by found... You're My Muse. Yeah, it's a great You're My Muse, copyright 2018, from Creative Commons Attribution License, um, featuring Stefan Kartenberg and Kara Square. We'll play a little blip for you next week. We can play the whole thing and stay tuned for, you know, the next show on here. Um, We will catch you next week. Sounds good.